Blog Talk Radio. All right, fans, here we go. Four two-minute rounds of boxing scheduled. Women's in the ring. Welcome to another edition of Round Your Hooks and Jabs Look at the Female Boxing World. My name is Felipe Leon. This is episode three. And with me, like always, is David Avila. Mr. David Avila, how are you doing tonight? Very good. Very good, Felipe. How are you? Good. Thank you very much. And last week, we were supposed to be on last Thursday. But as it so happens on this, every other week, uh, female boxing, sometimes Mr. David Avila or prior engagements that have to do with the world of boxing, and we got a, uh, a week, but here we are talking about all the fight results and what's coming up in the boxing world. There's been a lot of news in the last three weeks in the world of boxing, and obviously some titles have changed hands. Uh, champions have have uh, come out in the female boxing world, and we're going to be talking up to one today, whereas in about 15 minutes, the newly crowned WBC super lightweight champion, Ms. Jessica McCaskill from Chicago, Illinois, will be calling in with her trainer slash manager, Rick, Rick Ramos, and we'll be waiting for her for about 15 minutes. But before that, we're going to go ahead and give a quick fight results of the last three weeks and talk about some of the fights um, that went down in the last three weeks in the world of female boxing starting on Saturday. Terrain Mexico and on Sanford on a second channel, I'm sorry, in Mexico, for a split decision over former title challenger Maria Salinas in the 10 rounder for the WBO 112 pound title. The scores there were 97 93 and 98 92 for Mucino, whereas Salinas got a 96 94. And the same night, in a little bit of not so much a shocker, not so much a surprise, but I was kind of a little bit surprised that Miranda Moreno, long time. Uh, WBC junior flyweight uh, full-fledged champion lost her title in the rematch against Yesenia Gomez uh, with scores of 97-93 and 96-94 for Gomez and then there was an even 95-95 Yesenia Gomez, the local in Cancun, Mexico where the fight was held and televised on Televisa the majority decision. David, I got a chance to see this fight and it was a close fight I didn't score it and it was a close fight and I think it would have gone either way being that Yesenia Gomez was the hometown fighter, she was fighting in her hometown of Cancun. She ended up becoming the new world champion. So Moreno, obviously quite upset uh, with this fight. In the last fight that it came close and she ended up losing, she protested to the point where she got the rematch against Jessica Kika Chavez uh, some years ago, and she was awarded a rematch. So let's see if Moreno um, um, protests enough with the WBC, the WBC up giving her a rematch, which will be the third fight uh, between them. The first fight ended in a draw. This one in a majority decision. Let's see if she gets the third fight. Yeah, it's kind of uh, ironic, but uh, then you have uh, Kenya Enriquez, who has the interim title that she doesn't get her shot, but they, Moreno keeps getting her shot. All she has to do is shout. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Moreno is 
from Mexico City. She's been with the WBC for a long time. She's been a world champion from them before. And I do think that she somewhat deserves the title, uh, another shot because the fight was close. Very close. I think it could have gone either way. And the fact that they ended up in a draw in their fight, I think that they should close mm-hmm. the chapter there with Gomez and Moreno. And then whoever wins there, whoever wins in that trilogy, then defends against the interim champion. Also, on the same night, on September 22nd, from Samstown in Las Vegas, promotion, there was no TV for this one, but there's actually a really good video from the stands on YouTube. Ava Knight scored a unanimous decision over the Mexican Nancy Franco in a six. There were 55 three times. And as I was telling uh, Mr. David Avila right before the show started, this turned out to be a really good fight. Ava Knight dominated the first three or in the fifth and I think winning that round on the scorecards I believe was the fifth round and then she started uh, pouring it on so I think that if the fight would have been an eight rounder or a ten rounder I think we might have seen a much closer fight or if not even a different decision in that fight but the fight for six rounds so Ava Knight did enough in the first half to take that decision Ava Knight, I was thinking while I was watching the fight, you know, when she first came out on the scene and she fought and beat um, or, uh, um, uh, Kalisha West and then and then fought her to a draw and then she went out and knocked Arely Mucino out in a devastating fashion. You know, she was known for, for her uh, speed, but now she's getting she reminds me of those pitchers, David, that are known for their fastball when they first come up to the majors. And then once that fastball goes away, they got to figure out how to throw all these other pitches because they got to add stuff to their arsenal. And I think Ava Knight, that's what she's doing. She's always been a very good boxer, but she looked very measured, calculating in the first half of that fight against a very experienced Nancy Franco. And I think that's what Ava Knight is learning to do now that she's a little bit older, a little bit of ring rust that she needs to shake off. She's not really fighting all that often, even after signing to Mayweather Promotions. And this fight, like we mentioned, there was no TV for the whole entire card. Let's see if Ava Knight keeps and see if she ends up getting a shot at some kind of world title soon. I want a fight in Mexico. She's made it very clear that she's not too happy by the way she's been treated in Mexico uh, some years ago. So in the United States, it's or even wearing the title, so she might have to go to Europe and find the title there. Yeah, you keep breaking up. Keep breaking up? Let's see if it, if it gets yeah. a little bit better here. Um, now we move on to the same night on Saturday, September 22nd from the Whataburger Stadium in Corpus Christi, uh, Selena Barrio. Am I breaking up? Because I could do something real quick to yeah. stop that. All right, give me one. Yeah, you are breaking up. Real quick, and let me see if I can okay. sound better, okay? Okay, rebooting now.
We're still mm-hmm. here. It is now 7.38. Sorry for that. Give me one second, David. I'm almost there. Okay. Hey, David, you there? Yes, I am. Can you, does it sound better? Uh, it's not breaking up. Okay, sorry about that. We had to do a little bit of a quick fix here since uh, since it was giving us a little bit of technical difficulty, but I think this is going to work a little bit better now. Okay, so we go back. So we talked about Ava Knight, and on Saturday, September the 22nd, uh, from the Waterburger Stadium in Corpus Christi, Texas. Also, no TV, but Selena Barrios scores unanimous decision over Patricia Juarez, the older sister yeah. of Mariana Barbie Juarez, for the NBA yeah, 135 pounds. What's that? I was able to watch it. Somebody streamed it, and uh-huh. uh, it was an fight? interesting fight. It was an interesting fight. Um, Patricia Juarez uh, had her best moments um, when she fought at, at a distance. And when they fought inside, uh, Barrios had her way. And the scores I thought were a little closer than what they had. One person had a, a shutout. I did not see that. In fact, I gave Patricia the first round, absolutely, and a couple more rounds. And uh, they, um, I'd say she won three to four rounds, but uh, while well, she fought at a distance. But every time they fought inside, it was Barrios' fight, and um, Patricia Juarez uh, did well, but Barrios was a little too strong inside. Well, the scores, as you mentioned, they're a little bit wide to your liking. Uh, they were 189 and 98-91 two times. So one judge or two judges actually gave uh, Juarez two rounds, and then one judge, like you mentioned, didn't give her any any round. So Selena Barrios defends her NABF title uh with a 10-round unanimous decision. On Saturday, September 29th, from Sao Paulo, Brazil, Rose Volante scored a third-round TKO over Jolis Marrugo Franco to defend her WBO 135-pound title. Marrugo was down in the third round, whereas from France, Annie Sophie Da Costa scored a points decision over Kitty Colompar in a six-rounder at light flyweight. And from the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York, Melissa Saintville scored a unanimous decision in an A-rounder against Mayra Hernandez at 126 pounds. Uh, the scores there were 80-72-3 times. Interesting that Melissa goes down to 126 pounds. She's been fighting at 130, but it seems to me like it's very uh, easy for her to go down a fly, uh, featherweight. And I don't know. I mean, she might even be, going, be able to go down to 122. Um, have you had a chance to speak to Melissa? And what's next for her? Uh- uh, yes, yeah, she just signed a contract with the, the Bella Entertainment. So she has, and I spoke to Lou DeBella, and they have a three-fight contract. So she'll be fighting basically in New York, uh, which she had never done. She had never fought in Brooklyn where she lives. This was the first time fighting in front of a home crowd. She brought a big uh, audience with her, and uh, she did very well against Maida Hernandez in uh, scoring the shutout. And it was a three a three fight contract. That's pretty interesting. That 
Yes. He feels like he could do something for her in three fights. Yeah, yeah, they have a three-fight contract. And um, she she does have a – she's hopeful of getting a world title uh, rematch with uh, Eva Wallstrom. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, let, well, it looks like this might be the first fight of those three. So let's see what he's going to have to do something quick if he, if he only has a three fight um, contract with her and see what happens from there. Now on um, Friday, October the fifth, from Madrid, Spain, Joanna Pastrana scored a sec, uh, seventh round TKO over City Porn Tawisuk and a ten rounder to defend her IBF minimum weight title. Uh, Tawisuk was down in the first and the seventh round, and the next night. On Saturday, October 6th, from Tijuana, Mexico, on the Azteca Channel, Kenny Enrique scored unanimous decision over Venezuelan Nordelis Graterol to defend her interim WBC 108-pound title. Scores there were 100 to 90 and 189 two times. So as David mentioned, let's see if Enrique ends up getting a shot at the full-fledged title against Yesenia Gomez or if she ends up doing the rematch with Esmeralda Moreno. Let's see what happens there. But now on the line with us from the Windy City is none other than the WBC super lightweight champion, Miss Jessica Macasco, and her manager, trainer, Rick Ramos. Let's patch him in. Hello, Jessica. Yes. Hey, guys. Hi. Uh, hey, uh, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for uh, joining us here on the two-minute round, your hooks and jazz look at the female fight world. Uh, congratulations. A great fight uh, this past Saturday night against uh, Erika Farias. And now I'm going to pass you on the baton to Mr. David Ivila. David? Jessica, Jessica, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you guys? Very, very good. And uh, is Rick with you too? Yeah, he's here with me. Hey, what's up, guys? Rick? How you doing, Rick? Good, good. Oh, well. yeah, it's so, cold so over here. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah, I bet. So, big congratulations to the both of you. Um, first, uh, Jessica, um, you seemed a little concerned when they were about to announce the decision. What was going through your mind when they had you standing there waiting to hear the, the judges' uh, scores? Um, I thought I had it in the bag. I I wasn't really concerned. Um there was a, a little bit of a flash of London where there was such a wide score and I didn't get the decision, but I thought my performance was really well and uh, my team thought so as well. So we, we were pretty confident in the fight. And Rick, what about you? What were you thinking? Well, you know, we, you know, the WBC has a new rule now, so there was, like, open scoring. So, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. I knew where we were um, after the fight was over. So, they give you the scorecards after the fourth round, and then they give you the scorecards after the eighth round. Um, mm-hmm. I guess that's something new that the WBC is doing. But I, I knew where we were, and I knew where the fight was called. Uh, I didn't tell Jessica what the scores were. I let the, the judges announce it out loud, and I, I was comfortable you know, throughout the fight. After the fifth round, I was comfortable for sure. Oh, okay. And, and uh, what did you both do to celebrate after it was uh, announced that Jessica was the new world champion? Um, we just went to uh, a quiet place and just had some drinks and some food with friends and kind of reflected. We saw some of the other fighters, white chocolate and 
a couple other guys that were in the same area. Um, we just kind of kept it low key. We've been training for a very long time, and you know we were happy with and just spent some time with our close friends. And one of the things that uh, you had told me, uh, Jessica, before the fight was that Rick had Rick had uh, basically uh, uh, negotiated with uh, Eddie Hearn to get this fight. Rick, can you tell us uh, how you got uh, Jessica on the fight card? Because she wasn't originally slated to be on it. Um, well, to be honest with you, like, you know, I started getting a lot of uh, emails and text messages and phone calls from the boxing media overall, and everybody was saying, well, Katie Taylor's going to come to Chicago. You know, are you guys fighting Katie Taylor? Is it going to be Katie versus Jessica? And, you know, there's a lot of talk. So it kind of like, I don't want to say it got under my skin, but it, it did bother me a little bit that, like, they were going to come here, set up shop in, in our city, and, and I didn't get a phone call. So I consider myself, like, one of the, you know, the bigger names here in Chicago. So I was like, man, I didn't get a phone call. I didn't. I can't believe, like, no one's going to call me and tell me, like, anything. So I was a little upset, and then I did some interviews, you know, uh, saying, you know, how I felt, and uh, randomly, I don't know if it was coincidental or not, but, you know, we got the call, Eddie Hearn, reached out to me and said, hey, why don't you and Jessica come to the press conference? We did. Um, we knew everyone there, and, you know, Eddie and the uh, matchroom staff, we get along with those guys really well. They're good people, great people, and uh, we just started talking, and Eddie's like, hey, you guys want to get on? And we're like, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, he's like, what do you want to do? You want just to, you know, get everybody hyped up? You want to, like, not an easy fight, but do you want to just, like, you know, do your thing here in Chicago? And we were like, nah, we want, like, a real fight. And then, like, Eddie kind of looked at us and was like, okay. You know, and he mentioned uh, Bustos. Um, and I was, like, stunned. You know, we'll take Bustos in a minute. So I think he was a little impressed by our quick response. Like, this is verbal. Like, this is face-to-face. So we are like, yeah, we'll take Oh, okay. Fight. What yeah. was that? Where, what were the locations? It was at the Wintrust Arena in Chicago. Um, it was at the press conference. They did it there. And they offered Bustos, and we were like, yeah, done. We'll do it. And then for whatever reason, that fight fell through. And then the Erica Freas fight came up, and, you know, obviously we stuck with it. And we were like, yeah, no, we want it. And really got the fight on two-week notice. And, uh, you know, we wanted to perform and we wanted to shine. And, you know, and we jumped on it, you know. Were you surprised, uh, Jessica, that Erica Farias wanted to fight you? No. Um, I w- at that time, I was ready to fight almost anybody. And anybody that was going to give me a good, reputable fight to fight, I, I was prepared for it. So um, anything they offered, we were good to go. What was it like actually fighting Farias? I mean, she's one of the top fighters in art. Well, actually, the world. You know, she's the world champion for a long time, two divisions. What was it like uh, trading blows and trading uh, your boxing IQ with uh, somebody like that? It was actually a really fun fight. Um, I don't know if, if fighters say things like that. Um, maybe sparring is fun for some people, but the fight was very fun for me. Um, it really tested my creativity and, um, you know, people talk about ring rust and I don't think I had ring rust at all. It was more so 
my anxiousness to to punch somebody, if if that makes sense. Um, my first couple of rounds, my team was saying you're loading up on your punches and you're you're going you know too hard, too fast, and you're you're telegraphing. And so I just wanted to get in there and and really brawl a little bit. But after I was able to um, bring that back a little bit in the next couple of rounds, I was able to find that sweet spot and settle in and just kind of move around and, and show what we've been working on for 10 months. Did you guys have to make any changes uh, uh, other than uh, what you mentioned? Were there other changes that were made during the fight? Um, no, no, you know what? Not really, honestly. I, you know, I told Jessica um, if we fought Bustos, you know, all the, for, for whatever reason, all the our female our Argentinian fighters, they're like slow, strong. They, you know, their, their combination punches are not. They don't really have a lot of like skill per se. I don't think so. I think they're tough. They're they they're strong. I don't think any of them are fast. Um, they all kind of have the same style. You know, they they like to fight. Mm-hmm. They're all tough. They all can take punches. But like I feel like, and I o- always said this even before like the Katie fight. I'm like I would love to get a shot at at some Argent girls from Argentina because I felt like. If you fight one, you fight them all because they're all the same. I feel like they all are of the same, like the same exact style. So I was I was prepared like for anyone from any one of those girls from Argentina. So what would you say are Jessica's strengths as a fighter? I'm sorry, one more time. What would you consider uh, Jessica's strengths as a as a boxer? Well, you know, here's the thing. Like I feel like a lot of people don't know. Jessica, I think they just think like, hey, you know, Rick and Jessica just jump in this and just fight anybody. But you know, a lot of people didn't understand. Like, they everybody considered us the smaller fighters. Jessica's fought amateur fights at 154. She fought some fights at 147. She fought a majority of her career um, at 140, 141. So the only time she ever fought 135 was pro. So and the and that whole campaign was to get Katie Taylor. You know, from the beginning. So. We hit both goals. We fought Katie Taylor. Um, you know, we, I thought you know the scorecards were much closer than they you know than they said. Um, and then we just that proves to us um, that we belonged on a world class level. So after that, after Katie, we were like, we'll fight anybody. We almost got Katie out of there. Um, if she would have stayed in front of us, you know, instead of moving around a lot, we you know we would have got. I think we would have out hustled her and we would have got her. I don't know about a knockout, but I definitely think that we would have won. Um, so I knew, I, I just, for this plan, it was just like, come forward, put the pressure on, and I'll hustle everyone in front of us. I, I don't think that there's a, a any other females that work, her work rate is as as high as Jessica's. You know, I, I'm not saying that there's no one tough. I'm just saying her volume is, you know, in two minutes, she's throwing 90 punches around. I don't think anyone mm-hmm. can keep up with that. It, that's a lot to keep up with. How do how do you guys do that strength and conditioning? And I, I mean, shoot, I never saw Jessica. I never saw you get tired. It, it seemed like you were <laughs> at the same. You were at a hundred miles an hour for ten rounds. I was kind of surprised. I said, "Oh, she's gonna slow down now." I didn't see it. Did you ever no. feel like you were tiring there? <laughs> no, I probably could have gone another five rounds or so. Our training is pretty intense. Uh, we have strength and conditioning multiple times a week, sparring multiple times a week. I'm in the gym every day. I'm running 
um, anywhere from two to six miles broken up throughout the day on a regular five-day week, um, just depending on what my schedule will allow. So we've been doing a lot of work on our side, and, you know, we've been sparring with Sean Simpson, um, Josh Hernandez, a couple other national amateurs um, and pro fighters in the Chicago area. So, like I said, we've been doing the homework. We've been putting in the work on our side, and um, I wasn't afraid of getting tired at all. I think I was more so just concerned with settling in properly and fighting a smart fight and not looking too sloppy. I didn't want to come out looking like I didn't belong at that level. I wanted to be sharp, and um, I wanted a lot of the boxers in the crowd or as the announcers to to see the skills that I have and what I had to present. I I saw you land three uppercuts in a row. I mean, was that planned <laughs> or was that just a natural? I've never seen that, that before. That is probably one of the biggest highlights. And walking away that round, going to my corner, I kind of expected, you know, more or less a high five from the team. And Rick said, what the heck are you doing throwing three uppercuts? You throw one under and then you throw one over. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to have a seat now. So, And then for, for them to, to show it slow motion and everybody has a copy of that clip now. And when I go to the gym, they, they talk about the three uppercuts. That is That was not something that was planned at all, but um, I definitely want to take advantage and expose people's weaknesses and mistakes in my boxing um, abilities uh, when I'm fighting. So if I'm when you're sparring and somebody gets a double hook on you, it's one of those things like, wow, man, that's that's what stands out, and it makes you feel like, okay, now I have to really try hard to um, do something better than that. So a triple uppercut in my mind, I thought <laughs> I thought it was a good idea at the time. And uh, when when Coach said go over under, I said yes, Coach. And I think there's also a slow mo shot of me doing an underhand um, right uppercut and then a right overhand right afterwards. So we try to diversify our options and do a little bit of everything. Yeah, well, that was that was a great highlight. <laughs> I mean, it was uh, it's pretty awesome <laughs> to see three Thank uppercuts you. land. <laughs> Yeah. So, so Rick, uh, now that your team has a title, what what are your targets? Where are my what targets? What are your, what are, yeah? What are your targets now? I mean, uh, you, you know, we got to sit down with you know Eddie Hearn and and figure out what's the next plan. You know, uh, we do have an exercise clause. Uh, you know, Erica has an exercise clause with us. Um, she wasn't too happy about coming to Chicago and defending her belt seen as though Jessica's from here. So we don't know if she's going to exercise her right to, to to a rematch. We'll see what happens. Um, if she decides to take it, you know, obviously it'll be different. I think we, we'll, we'll just jump on her right away and, and try to be the first one to stop her. Um, but if, it, if she doesn't, you know, there's other names out there. You know, there's, you know, uh, you know, there's Katie. Taylor could come up to 140. Um, we can fight the other Argentinian girl. Um, I forgot. Uh, Estetian, I think her name is. We can fight her. She has a belt. I think she has a WBO. We would love to fight her and get two belts at that weight class and then have Katie come up. Um, I think Katie's plan is to come up eventually. Um, that would be mm-hmm. a phenomenal fight for the women's boxing as a rematch with Katie Taylor. 
Um, we can go back down to 135. Uh, depends, you know, it depends. I think we won the title, so I feel like we hit our target. Our our goal isn't, like, necessarily to keep the title to, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we did it. It was a goal. We mm-hmm. hit it. Like, there's there's money fights out there. There's there's bigger opportunities. Like Serrano is interesting. I would I would love to have that conversation with uh you know uh, Ludabella about maybe stepping in there with Serrano. That'd be nice, you know, with her belt. Yeah. Uh, the only way to be in the Hall of Fame is to beat Hall of Famers. She's in the Hall of Fame for sure. So you know that would be a great fight. That would definitely be a fight that would uh, turn us on and. I think turn on the uh, boxing public, um, or I mean, you know, this is might sound crazy, but we would even think about you know looking at Cecilia. I think Cecilia is extremely beatable. Um, you know, I just think that she's, you know, she she fought uh, what was that girl, La Regis, the last girl. That girl was super. Oh, Kelly Reese. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there you go. Sorry, and she was super aggressive and took it to Cecilia. If that thing was two more rounds. Cecilia might have been out of there, you know, and, and Jessica, if we got an opportunity like that, we would just jump on Cecilia. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, oh, it's yeah. just styles make fights. I think that Jessica's style would be too much for Cecilia. But who knows, you know? I don't know. 135, 140, 147. Um, there's a lot of fights there. There's a lot of good women there. Um, and that's mm-hmm. no disrespect to any of the women I mentioned. There's just a lot of good women. And those are 50-50 fights. I don't, I don't care about records, obviously. Those are fifty-fifty fights, you know, for us, for us, you know, we think. But um, do you, do you guys have a, 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 con- a more than one fight contract with a natural? Um, no. Um, you know, it's kind of a fight by fight basis, but uh, okay. you know, Eddie, yeah, I think Eddie uh, likes our style, and you know, and he likes what Jessica does, and Jessica's not afraid to fight, and you're not going to get us complaining. You never catch us complaining. We want to fight, you know, so. You know that's that's where we're at. So hopefully uh, we get to work with Eddie again, um, and and for for bigger and better things, and see what happens. Maybe a rematch, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. You know, only time will tell. Jessica, what's it like to walk around knowing you're the champion? Uh, what does it mean for you? Uh, do you get any perks? Uh, what's it like? <laughs> it's really fun for the fact that people are very excited about it. RJ O'Brien, uh, my my nine to five per se, they were great sponsors. They bought a lot of tickets for the employees at my job. They um, had us uh, made T-shirts for us, and we wore them into the ring. They've been very supportive of my boxing career during my finance career. So everyone at work took pictures with the belt. Um, they told me their experience from being at the fight. The kids at the gym, the same thing. So it's really fun to um, watch everyone be really excited about it. For us as a team, some people, it kind of hits them a couple days later, like, wow, we're world champions. But I think for for Rick and I, we've put ourselves at such a top level mentally anyway. We've been telling people we belong on this level for so long that now that we've gone to the next. So it's great. But at the same time, you know, I'm still looking for the next, um, part of my career to come about. Well, how does it feel? Because we did some research, and I didn't find very many uh, world champions from Chicago, even though it's a fight town. It's always been a fight town. There's not that many. There's, like, I only counted four. What's it like to yeah. be among the very elite? <laughs> 
the the act of creating history, female history, um, history in my local town, those are some of the big things that stand out when I'm making my decisions and the things that we take part in or um, strive to make a difference in. And I've, I've always wanted to continue to make history in female boxing, and that's just kind of another notch on the belt and something that I can use to motivate other people to let them know that they can still um, accomplish their dreams. Yeah, the first uh, female to win a world title from a major sanctioned uh, group. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a major. big thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doubt. Let, let me uh, pass you on to Felipe. I know he has some questions to ask you. Uh, Felipe, do you have a – it's your turn. Yes, thank you, David. Uh, my first question is for Jessica. Jessica, for those who don't know, how did you get into the, the sport of boxing? What, what attracted you? to uh, get into a ring and punching people for, for a living? <laughs> I've always been a fitness junkie. I've always been in the gym, and I've always played sports as a child. So um, the sport aspect was not new. It was just which sport I got involved in. I started to take some kickboxing classes as an adult, and it just really kind of drew me in, but I never really had the desire to kick above my head or stretch my legs so much. So there was a person um, training boxers in the same gym that I took my kickboxing lessons in. And once my membership was over for the kickboxing, I transferred over to boxing. And I've always been a very competitive person. So once I started to train, I wanted to have my first exhibition bout. And from there, I wanted to have my first real fight onto nationals and tournaments, and then eventually pro. So I was just hitting marks and um, accomplishing goals along the way, and that's how I got started. Now, Rick, what what were your thoughts? I mean, you, you, here's a young woman who is athletic, comes into the gym, and, and you know, had some, some know-how of kickboxing, but now she wants to try boxing. And I don't know at what point did you get her, but – uh, what did you think when you first started working with her, the, maybe the first day that you started working with Jessica at the gym? Well, she came to, I was at the gym, and, you know, she came to the gym, and she was like, hey, you know, um, I got some fights. You know, I, I was wondering if you're looking for fighters. Um, I want to fight on this show. I, I threw an all-boxing all female show, amateurs only, all-female. And she wanted to fight on it. So I said, okay, come to the gym. Um, she started working out. And I said, do you have a trainer? And she's like, no. And I said, oh, come tomorrow, and I'll have you spar a couple of my girls, and let's see how it goes. And, you know, she uh, she dropped one of my other girls with a body shot. So then I was like, okay, this girl can punch. And really from there on, I'm like, oh, this girl's serious. Like, she came in the gym kind of mean. She came in there serious, and, you know, she dropped uh, one of my golden gloves champions dropped her so took her took her you know she took a knee or whatever and and after that i'm like okay okay this girl's serious you know so um it wasn't really i didn't think i had anything until after the first fight i think after the first fight we realized like i realized like you know this girl could fight this girl like there was a one girl in chicago who was doing really well and she was supposed to turn pro and this and that and jessica gave her like four standing eight counts you know almost knocked her out and i was like man so really, after that, I knew I had something. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna explore this. Let's see what's going on with this girl. So one thing that I noticed in the story you just gave us, 
is that, you know, a lot of times a trainer is convinced to train women by this one special talent that walks into the gym and, and maybe sees that she has what it takes to turn pro. But by what, it, by, by what it sounds like, you already were training women before Jessica walked into the gym. So what was it about yeah. female boxing that, that Rick Ramos saw, and, and why did Rick Ramos decide to train female fighters when a lot of trainers don't really train female fighters? They kind of try to stay away from it. Well, this this happened a long time ago, like in 2007, 2008, you know, some girl, Vicky Williams, she was one of my top, pro, like, top amateurs. She just walked in the gym one day. She was just taking a boxing class, and I saw her throw a left hook on the heavy bag, and I was like, hey, do that again. And she did it again, and the stroke her punch. She was like 112 pounds. And I said, hey, come over here. And I wanted to start and do mitts with her. And this girl can punch. She was mean. She was little. And she she can punch with both hands. So I said, okay. Um, I took her for an amateur fight. She destroyed a girl in like a minute. And I'm like, oh, wow. And she was super athletic. She was a basketball player. She did a lot. She was real little. And she just started stopping a lot of girls, giving a lot of girls stand eight counts. So she was Vicky Williams. Shout out to Vicky Williams because she's in the Chicago Police Department. So she's in the streets, you know, trying to do right over here. And it's tough for her, you know, but... She um she was my like first real female fighter and uh, she won the Golden Gloves two times went to nationals I mean it was just Vicky and I clicked and I was she was the one who opened the the uh, I don't know the um, curiosity in me for female boxing I'm like okay she listened to everything I said it was it was just a good friendship connection um, between fighter coach and we did very well together and then after that I was open to the idea. Then I realized it was like the wild, wild west, right? Because there's like very few girls you can maneuver very well. I'm like, as a new coach coming into the game, I just opened up a boxing gym. I need to make a name for myself. So I was kind of like, I need to like make some noise with whatever I got. And at the time, I really only had a couple of young fighters, guys, and, you know, this girl was just knocking girls out. So I'm like, this girl is making noise. So it was just easier and faster. Like women, when you train women, the process moves faster. And I was all about, like, getting a world title, you know, and I'm like, all right, I got to get a world title so I can say I'm a world-class trainer, you know, uh, and the WBC was my target. If I won the WBO, the WBA, I just, I didn't really, you know, obviously it's accomplishment, but I wasn't feeling it. I wanted the WBC. That's something that, as a fighter myself back in the day, you dream about, you know, you're like, man, I want that, I want that belt so bad. You know what I mean? So that's how it all went down. Now, you touched on very, something very interesting um, about female fighters and the way that they respond and and they listen and they follow instructions. And I've heard that before from other trainers. In your experience training men and women, do you find that that's the generalization that women, for what reason, are better listeners, follow instructions better, perhaps don't have a chip on their shoulder as much as, as a guy does and, and wants to show up his coach? 100%. I always said that. I always say women listen so much better. Um, if I walk in my gym and I just pick up a guy and say, hey, let's hit the mitts, this guy is, like, trying to swing super hard. He's just trying to, like, you know, it's that macho thing. Let, let me let this guy show show me. Let me show with this coach what I got. And I don't really care. I've seen it all. I held mitts for everyone in the business, you know what I mean? So I've seen the best punchers and the hardest hitters. And so, like, 
I think every time I do mitts with a guy, they always want to show me, like, their power, and then they're out of there in a minute. Girls, they actually want to learn. Like, hey, just show me how to do it right, you know, like where guys are just, you know, guys, we don't read instructions. We just try to fix, you know, <laughs> something that's broken. You know what I'm saying? So it's like a woman wants to, like, read the instructions and figure it out and take her time. Guys are just like, let's just let's just figure this out as we go, you know. And I think uh, I think it's a little easier to train women. Now, Jessica, Rick earlier, uh, prompted by a question by David, mentioned Teddy Taylor uh, a couple of times. And it sounds to me like like uh, Rick feels that Teddy Taylor is the one that got away. She handed you uh, your second loss as a, as a pro. Do you feel the same way? Are you that interested in really gunning for Teddy Taylor, whether it be at 135 pounds or 140? I would definitely be interested in a Katie Taylor fight. Either weight would be uh, an attractive match for me. Um, I feel like we did really – people usually ask, you know, what what do you take away from that fight? And I always tell them that we did a great job preparing for that, executing things that we wanted to, and a lot of the things that we prepared for that fight, we do it the same way now. We, we execute our strength conditioning, our sparring, a certain way, just our preparation overall. And so we do a lot of the same things that that we did then now without having to change it because, like I said, we did a really great job in, in that fight. Um, we did come away with a loss, but, you know, we almost took her out, rocked her a couple of times, first time that she's had to really kind of fight and strategize her way through something um, just to make it through the fight herself. So, um the one that got away, um, any, any loss is, is probably something, you know, considered the one that got away. But um, realistically, Katie Taylor would be somebody that is still on the radar because she's still fighting. She's still active. She has belts. Um, she's still at the top of top of the list for most of the fighters out there. So I would love that fight. Now, now Rick, in Jessica's last two fights she's faced, very experienced fighters. Katie Taylor, obviously, you know, Olympic gold medalist, all the experience in the world in the amateurs, 7-0, considered one of the best fighters in the world right now. Erika Farias, you know, three times the amount of fights that Jessica has. So what about, what is it about Jessica that you felt that she was ready for that kind of competition despite only having four or five fights by the time she walks into the ring? Well, to to speak on the Katie Taylor fight, I just... I know boxing, right? Like, I just know, like, if you look at, like, if you look at Mayweather and Maidana, that's exactly how I saw Jessica and Katie Taylor. You know, Mayweather is the princess. Katie's the princess. You know, they're very sharp, very, uh, they're both Olympians, you know, and um, know what fighters are going to throw, right? So, but when you get someone who's unorthodox and you get someone who comes forward and you get someone who doesn't care about your past, your resume. They just don't care. They're coming for your head. Like Maidana. Maidana gave Mayweather more than he can handle in this first fight. And that's exactly how I saw it. I know Jessica. I know she's rugged. I know she'll come in there and, and, and try to win and she'll – she doesn't care about looking good. She just wants to get, you know, get you out of there. So I knew that if we can go in there with that Maidana style, make it rough, hit her on the break, you know, push her face like when she ties up, punch on the break, Everything, just everything that you would 
consider, like, what other people would consider rugged fighter, uh, almost too aggressive. I knew we can get underneath Katie's skin, and I knew that I, – I already knew we were already under Katie's skin because, you know, we got her to take the fight, you know. The odds were 200 to 1. And you know the bookies would have probably came from my head if we would have if we would have pulled it off. <laughs> it was a two hundred one. We might have we would have all the bookies would have went bankrupt. You know, but uh, it was it was crazy. I just knew if we made it rough, make it rugged. You know, we got a point taken away. Katie got a point taken away. So I feel like we made her do things out of character more than once, like three or four times. You know, so if the referee was a little bit more strict on all the holding there should have been maybe another point taken away. Um, but I knew that if we stuck with the game plan and, and we made it rugged, we can do anything. Jessica's super aggressive. I've seen her drop guys in the gym. Um, you know, and guys are always coming in the gym like, hey, I'll work with her. And then they, after the second round, they're like, yo, man, I got to fight this girl. I, she's, I can't work with her. She's, like, coming to kill me. I have to fight her. I'm like, yo, fight this girl. Don't work with her. You know what I'm saying? Like, So once I started hearing all the, the talk in the gyms against top amateurs or, or even young pros, and they're like, yo, man, I was not sparring with Jessica. We were fighting, men telling me that. Then I knew, I'm like, man, I think Jessica compete at this, can, could compete at this level. And I figured because Katie Taylor took that fight with us, like four, like five-week notice, she had stitches in her head still. So I figured she's not going to get a lot of sparring in, right? She's not going to get a lot of sparring in where, you know, she has to take the stitches out. We're two and a half weeks away. She's only going to be able to spar for a week and a half. I'm like, this is a bad fight for Katie to take. So we jumped on it. And I figured, just, just go at her, you know. And I knew she wouldn't be able to handle the pressure. She, you know, she caught on late. She made some adjustments later, um, which helped her. But it was a great fight. I mean, I think a lot of people didn't see that fight. And I wish people would go back and watch it. But that was a phenomenal fight. Now, Jessica, what does that do to your confidence level when your trainer tells you, you know, this girl has Olympic gold medals. She's fought everybody at the world's class level as an amateur. You know, you fought her. You gave her a great fight. Now I want you to fight this other world champion that has three times the amount of fights that you do. You know, I think you're ready for that. What does that do to your confidence level when your coach is is telling you that? When my coach, you know, tells me that he is, thinks I'm ready for something, then – um, I usually wholeheartedly agree. I've always been the underdog in pretty much every fight I've had, whether the person has had more fights than me, the person has, has had experience with a six-round, an eight-round, a ten-round fight, whereas at the time I did not. Um, so we've always been the underdog, and, and so when it comes to what other people have and what people consider to be amazing stats and resumes, I don't really take that into consideration. It's more so just internal team talk. So if my coach says, you know, you're ready for this, this is all you have to do, you know, and we're, we're preparing for it, then that's all that matters. Now, going back to the Farias fight, you know, at what point did you feel that you had her, that, that it was just a matter of continuing to doing what you were doing and what was working, that you were going to win that fight and be a world champion? At what point in that fight, did that cross your mind? Probably, I mean, I was very confident from the press conference to the weigh-in to the first, you know, ring of the first bell of the first round. But the second round, her eyes just looked like she didn't want to be there anymore. Her eyes looked like 
Um, she couldn't take the power. She she had a decent chin. I believe it was the first round where she did buckle um, after immediately after a break, and we went back into you know exchanging blows, and she buckled and went down pretty far. Didn't touch the canvas, um, but you'll have to watch that again because I didn't. I don't think I realized it during the fight because we were exchanging multiple punches at the time. But you know, looking back, her eyes just just told the whole story uh, probably around the second round. From there, I was just trying to settle into my punches and settle into my game plan, and she started to change her um, her body language, whereas the first couple of rounds when we would clinch up, she would push me off. And then after about the first three rounds, she would hold on and she wouldn't let go. <laughs> So she needed more time to recover. She needed more time to breathe. And I just knew I had it in the bag. Now, after the fight, oh, actually, when they give the decision, you know, I, she was pretty gracious. She clapped. She, 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 I don't know what she said when, when she congratulated you. Uh, it seemed to me like she was saying, hey, you did it. You won the title. I follow her on social media. She has never said uh, since the fight that, you know, if there was anything fishy going on or anything, she conceded a lot. Were you surprised by that from her uh, at the end of the fight when they read the decision? I wouldn't say surprised. Before the actual fight happens, there's a lot of stare downs and there's not a lot of whole, not a whole lot of conversation. I usually extend my hand to um, shake the opponent's hand during the weigh-in just to show respect for the sport, show the respect for the other person, you know, getting in the ring, things like that. And so there wasn't a lot of conversation, and she doesn't speak a lot of English. So after the fight, you know, you could really tell how wholeheartedly sincere she was, and she just said congratulations um, for the most part. And we took pictures in the back together. Um, I told her to grab her belt. I had my belt. And, you know, we're just we're making female boxing better um, together, and that was something to celebrate. So, like I said, it was a fun fight. They were a great team, very respectable, and I would love to, to, to do that again if she's um, ready and willing. Now, my last question, I think it's the most important one of the interview, and it's for both of you, but is it the White Sox or the Cubs? Do uh, you want to answer it? It's the Cardinals because I'm from <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, so it's neither for me, but I do get along very well with White Sox fans because we both do not like Cubs. Um, okay. For me, for me, I grew up across the street from White Sox Park, like literally across the street. So, uh, in a town like a little area called Bridgeport. So, um, shout out to Bridgeport. Um, uh, it's we grew up hating the Cubs, but as an adult, like I just want them both to win. I know. It isn't the answer you were looking for, but I want them both to win. I want <laughs> Chicago to win. I definitely want Chicago to win. Yeah, I was. I, I've been. In, I've been in, in, in Chicago, and I was on the south side, and I almost uh, made a, a fatal mistake uh, mentioning the Cubs there at a liquor store. So, <laughs> so I had to ask. Yeah, for sure. South siders get really aggressive about the Cubs over here. So uh, Jessica and I live on the south side now, but. Yeah, the South Side, Southsiders don't like the Cubs at all. <laughs> I found that out uh, uh, really quick uh, that weekend that I spent there in Chicago. Well, uh, thank you, guys. David, do you have anything else? 
No, no, I just like to say, hey, whenever you're in Los Angeles, uh, please give us a call or drop by or give us a, a, a heads up and uh, we'll show you the town. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having us on your show. Thank oh, you very much for, for being with us, and uh, and uh, we hope it's not the first time and not the last time that you guys are with us, and we wish you all the success. Thank you so much, and then we'll jump on the show whenever. Whenever you can, just shoot us a message, and, and we'll we'll just jump on. And if we're in L.A., for sure, we're calling you guys. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you. you. Have a great night, guys. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. No problem. And there you have it, folks, the newly crowned WBC super lightweight champion Jessica Mataskill and her trainer slash manager Rick Ramos. Very good interview, uh, David. I really enjoyed uh, our conversation with them. Uh, very forthright, very frank. Uh, so uh, that was great. Uh, one of the uh, most enjoyable interviews that, that I've personally had here on, on the two-minute round. Yeah, yeah, the very good. Uh, it was a, it was. It was great to talk about the breakdown of the fight and everything that they've learned. And Rick seems to be very astute in the boxing game, and Jessica mm-hmm. seems to be one of those uh, rare fighters that doesn't care who she fights. You just point her, and that's it. She'll do the rest. Mm-hmm. And, and I like the I like the, the insight that that Rick gave us as far as training uh, men and women because I've seen that in the gym. I've seen that in the gym where you could tell the difference between a female fighter and, and a male fighter, obviously, but in the way that they train and the way that they listen and the way that they learn, it is quite different. And I'm glad that he, uh, that he brought that to the table and we were able to talk about a little bit of, uh, uh, of that because there is a, there is a difference uh, there between men and women when they're actually learning from their trainer and, and training with them. So uh, yeah. going back now, go ahead. Oh, and it's it's rare too because uh, we don't often hear anybody from Chicago, and here we have somebody representing them, the first female from Chicago to win a world title. That's a big town. There's like over two million people live in Chicago, and half of them are Mexican or Latino. Yeah, yeah, and she's half Mexican, I believe. Even though we didn't touch in to touch too much into it, I think she's half uh, Mexican, um, if I'm not yes, mistaken. Yes, that's right. and, and um, and you're right. I mean, Chicago, it's a big fight town. Maybe you could talk about it a little bit more than I can, David, because you've been uh, in the game longer. But back in like in the in the '40s, and I mean, you haven't been back that long, but still, you know, you know about the history. Forty '40s yeah. and '50s and '60s. I mean, it was a big fight town, and there is still some fights there. They have fights there every so often. There's a, a big Polish community there that also go to the fight. David Diaz, former WBC lightweight champion, is from uh, Chicago. But as you mentioned it, I mean, there hasn't been, uh, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of another female fighter that's a pro fighter that's from Chicago, but Jessica McCaskill. I don't know anybody else that, that won a world title, a major world, world title. Or even Chicago. a pro fighter from Chicago that off the top of my head right now, that's, a, that's yeah. uh, from Chicago, yeah. So there you yeah, go. She's the um, well, good for her, and hopefully she's a champion for a long time. And and, uh, and I believe that uh, with Rick uh, in her corner, she they'll make the right moves to get the big fights. And and hopefully something works out with Eddie Hearn because Eddie Hearn does need you know fighters and he needs to put on cards. And if he's gonna, for, I mean, he chose Chicago for a reason. And if he goes back to Chicago to put on a fight, because the main event was Thomas Delorme against Jesse Vargas. Neither one 
from Chicago. Uh, right. And the other fight was Arthur Bernie against Kellen Smith. Yeah, not, no, nobody was from Chicago except for Jessica McCaskill. Yeah, that's right. That was yeah. good. <laughs> now going Big back uh, to the to the fight results, David. A very interesting fight uh, happened also on Saturday, this last past Saturday, October sixth, but from United Kingdom, in, uh, where Nicola Adams captured the vacant interim WBO 112 pound title with the unanimous decision over Isabel Millan. Uh, scores there were 97-93 two times and 96-94. Um, it was a it wasn't a close fight. I think I think uh, Nicola Adams controlled most of the action, but it did get interesting mm-hmm. because she started very well, but then Isabel Millan started landing some very wild punches that she shouldn't have landed. But Nicola Adams, as a pro, doesn't have the experience. And one thing about Isabel Millan, she might be very far off technically or talent from Nicola Adams, but she has shown not only in this fight, but in previous fights in Japan and in France, that she has a ton of oh, heart. Yeah. And the last thing that that, brought, that made me think about this fight is that even though Nicola Adams was landing some good, precise punching, she never hurt Isabel Millan, whereas Naoko Fuyoka, uh, considered the best female fighter out of Japan, stopped her, something that hardly anybody does to Isabel Millan. Yeah, she's a tough, tough girl. And I, I knew she was going to give her trouble. But I like the fact that Nicola Adams chose the fact Isabel Miano, whoever chose her, or uh, Nicola, because I knew she would learn a lot from that experience. Yeah, actually, um, uh, uh, Miano has only been stopped once and has been by world-class opposition. Naoko Fuyoka stopped her in 2017, and Esmeralda Moreno stopped her in 2014. So she's only been stopped twice in... 31 fights, no, 28 fights. So there you go. Now, as far as the as the flyweight champions, we have uh, the WBA champion Naoko Fuyoka, the WBC champion is Ivela so- uh, Roca Zamora, IBF is Leon Nola, Paola Judica from Argentina, and uh, the uh, WBO champion is Areli Musinho, Nicole Adams, the interim champion. You know, the WBO, we've, we talked about them here on the show uh, various times. You know, they don't have any rankings. And, and, you know, I don't even remember the last time that they might have even ordered a mandatory, uh, being that they're from Puerto Rico and Areli Musini is with Sanford from Mexico and Fernando Beltran, who is very influential. I seriously doubt that they will be ordering a fight soon between the interim champion and the full-fledged champion, Areli Musino. Interesting fight. I think that Nicola Adams has the talent and the speed and the skill to beat Arely Monsigno. So I don't see if that, I don't know if that fight's going to happen anytime soon, but let's see where Nicola Adams goes from here. I mean, she does have the backup in Frank Warren in bringing in fighters to England and having them defend, having her defend against them and maybe build up a little bit of experience, but with the title belt around her waist. So let's see what happens with Adams in the future. Yeah, that would be a great matchup. Now, uh, on the same this past Saturday from the Coliseum in St. Petersburg, Florida, there was a little small fight card out there, but where Crystal Hoy scored a third-round TKO over Noemi Bosquez in a 115-pound title fight, regional title, Bosquez was down twice in the third. And we talked about Bosquez before. She started off really well um, in her career. Then she basically went to the opponent status in her career, started, you know, getting paid to fight, and fighting outside her weight class and 
but always a tough fighter, never been stopped. And then Lourdes uh, Juarez, La Pequeña Lulu, the younger sister of Mariana Juarez, ended up stopping her. And now I think she's lost uh, some fights in a row by stoppage. And a couple of days after the fight, she actually uh, – well, this is interesting, David. A couple of days after the fight, she posted on Twitter that I believe her trainer was maybe suggesting that it's time for her to retire. But just today, mm. she posted on Twitter that she's got a new opportunity. She's considering fighting in, in, in New Orleans. So let's see what happens with Naomi Bosquez. I mean, you know, the last thing that we want, we want is for her to get hurt. So um, let's see what, 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 what she decides. Yeah, it's a dangerous sport. So her trainer thinks she should retire, and maybe she should uh, really uh, take a second look at herself. Now, on the same card, uh, there's an Australian fighter. Her name is Avril uh, Mati, whose claim to fame is that she's actually a swimsuit model that decided to go into boxing. Let, let me go back to Noemi Bosques real quick. She's 11 and 13 with three draws. But in her last fight, let's see, in her last, her last five fights, she fought to a draw. She scored a unanimous decision. Oh, no, she lost to Sonia Osorio, a unanimous decision. She lost to Diana Laura Fernandez via TKO. She lost a, uh, a split decision in India. And then she just lost by TKO to Crystal Hoy, who has a record of six and eight. So, and she's lost uh, out of her last uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven fights. She lost six of them and one draw. Her last win was back in 2016 against Amarilis Adorno in a United decision. So, I don't know. I mean, she's making money. She's fighting all over the world. She's fought in New Zealand. She's fought in India. She's fought in Mexico. But, you know, the last thing we want is for somebody to get hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Avril Masi, who I was mentioning, is uh, her biggest claim to fame is that she's a swimsuit model. From, uh, from Australia. She's also now a professional fighter, and she got a split draw against Amanda Salazar in the sixth round of, uh, in a 115-pound title. She's still undefeated with 2-0 and in one draw. Scores there were 58-56 for Mathi, 58-56 for Salazar, and even 57-57. And the last note is from the Wintrust Arena in Chicago, Illinois, Matchroom Boxing USA, obviously on the zone. Our guest, our special guest today, Today, Jessica McCaskill scoring a unanimous decision win over former champion Erika Farias of Argentina for the WBC 140-pound title. Scores there were 98-92, 97-93, and a close 96-94. Now, David, some interesting news have happened since the last time we were together here on the two-minute round. One of them, or probably, well, two big big stories. One big story is that the... uh, the uh, Clarissa Shields Christina Hammer fight that was being uh, talked about and I, almost it was announced for I believe November has now been taken off the books. Christina Hammer announced that she had a undisclosed medical condition that prevented her from fighting until early next year, and um, and so now she can't fight. And Clarissa Shields very graciously did not criticize her. Obviously. Uh, obviously uh, declared her, her disappointment, but she mentioned that if it is a medical condition and her doctor is the one that's telling her not to fight, then there's really nothing anybody can do. All we have to do is pray for her to heal, and, and hopefully they can meet in, in, in the future. But Clarissa Shields is moving on and still fighting, I think, this, in December now, 
the fight, the, the title, I mean, the date has been moved, obviously, on Showtime. Now, I've seen a couple of things, David, and I don't know if you can confirm or deny or if you've seen the same thing, but one thing I've seen is that they might make Christina Hammer a, a champion in recess and have, and have Clarissa Shields rematch at 160 pounds against, against Anna Gabriel for the vacant WBC title. And then another thing that I saw today is that Clarissa Shields might be fighting Femke, uh, Herman. I think her name is uh, Hermes. Herman. Hermes. Yeah, who is a 168-pound WBO champion. No mention that they're going to be fighting for that WBO 168-pound title or if they're going to be fighting for that WBC 160-pound title or the WBO 160-pound title, which Christina Hammer is also a champion. Do you have any insight on any of this? No, I haven't received any kind of uh, information like that, uh, no kind of substantiation. Okay, so we're going to just have to wait and see. Clarissa Shields hasn't denied or confirmed any of those fights. Those are just coming from, you know, social media, and everybody thinks they have the inside of what's going to happen next. They want to be the first one to post, but with no with no confirmation from either party, there's really nothing you can do. Uh, the other fight that was believed to be on October 27th, which would have been a major and probably the biggest fight of the year, in female boxing between Mariana Lavarbi Juarez and Jackie Nava, all of a sudden went up in, in smoke. And Jack and Mariana Juarez and her team, Promociones del Pueblo, announced that she'll be fighting Susie Kentikian on the same day in Mexico. I oh, try to make Susie contact Ramadan. with Jack. Oh, I'm sorry. Susie Ramadan uh, in, in Mexico uh, on the same date on Mexican TV. I, I try to make contact with uh, Jackie Nava's team. I spoke to her husband who was also her co-trainer, he mentioned when I talked to him about it, which was the morning of the announcement of Mariana Juarez against Ramadan, um, he mentioned to me that he didn't know anything about it. Um, and I saw some other reports where Barbie Juarez said that, that, the, that, that the negotiations were taking too long, that they had not gotten to any, um, any concrete uh, a deal, and that they just had to move on. Uh, according to her or to what she kind of alluded is that it was Jackie Nava's side that was being the roadblock to making the deal. But when I spoke to Jackie Nava's husband, he mentioned that the contract had been signed, that the contract had been signed and there, there was no need to re, to do more negotiations. So I don't know if it was something going on between both promoters outside of the contract that Mariana Juarez and Jackie Nava had signed. But, you know, sometimes these promoters don't really want to get too much into the details with journalists because they don't want to perhaps ruin something that could happen in the future by talking too much. Yeah, I spoke uh, also to the WBC, and they had no idea what was going, what was going on. Mm-hmm. So the thing that gets caught, I mean, Jackie Nava, if you follow her on social media, she's still training and training very hard, training very hard. Every morning she posts, um, well, every day she posts uh, snippets of her training, and she's training as if she was fighting soon. Nothing has been announced. I would assume that she will be fighting soon, maybe on a date around that October 27th, at, and, uh, you know, to, to not uh, lose the momentum that she has in her training camp. Uh, but things get complicated because, as we all know, Jackie Nava is a congresswoman here in Mexico. I'm not sure 
I think her. I don't. I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure if her term is three years or six years. Um, if it's three mm. years, she might be coming up to the end of it, and I don't know if she's going to go for re-election. If it's six years, then she still has some time, and that is the reason why things get complicated because obviously she has to catch a break from Congress to be able to train and to fight, and that October 27th date was the window where she would be able to do that. Fight has not happened, so you know we'll see what happens uh, in the future, and if the fight ends up happening in early 2019. Now, the other big story as well in the last three weeks which is kind of interesting, is that it was recently announced that the Heather Hardy, Shelly Vincent rematch slated for October 27th, I believe, David, or 20th? Yes, uh, 27th. Is it the tw- 27th for the vacant WBO 126-pound title will now be televised by HBO. It will be a triple header. Yeah, 27th. Headlined by Daniel Jenkins against Sergey Derenchenko for the 160-pound title IBF, and now this fight will be the second fight in the history of HBO, the second female fight in the history of HBO to be televised by the network. David, what, what do you think about that? I mean, too little, too late, right? Yeah, it's too bad that HBO didn't really take a, a chance with women's boxing. I actually think it would have helped them uh, instead of uh, going for the Fighters from uh, other countries, way out there, they had women right here that could have opened up the market for them. And uh, it's, it is too late. But uh, according to uh, Lou DiBella, uh, Heather, uh, first of all, I mean, Heather Hardy, I'm sorry, getting my Heather's mixed up. Mm-hmm. Heather Hardy uh, uh, basically uh, lobbied HBO to, to put their fight in because they had no TV outlet or any kind of streaming uh, outlet for the fight. And it, it was the fight of the year when it happened uh, a couple of years ago. And so it made no sense to have no outlet for them. So the HBO uh, uh, bowed and, and accepted the fight, and it's going to happen. And it's just too bad. It's the last televised fight card they're going to have, so far as we know, by HBO. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean it's unfortunate that it's coming, but I mean the fight. What well, if if we expect the same thing that we saw in the first fight, which will happen a couple years ago, which was a, one of the best fights of 2016, if not the best one, for it to happen again, and we don't, we, there's no reason why it shouldn't to happen again. It has a real potential to be the fight of the night because the co-main is, I think it's WBA. Uh, 130-pound champion Albert Machado against whoever, and then Daniel Jacobs against Hurley Derenchenko. So if it's an all-action fight, it has the, all the potential to be the fight of the night on HBO. Absolutely. I mean, I, you can, it's almost a guarantee it's going to be the fight of the night. Almost. Now, yeah. Now, quite interesting, David. Amanda Serrano, she fights this weekend, I believe, in Phoenix uh, in yes. her second fight in the MMA, correct? In Tucson. Tucson. In Tucson, yeah, in Tucson. Are you going to be making a trip? No, I wish I, I could. I, you know, my, my family, I have a lot of family in Tucson. My uh, mother, my two brothers, they all live in Tucson. But no, I can't make oh. it. Wow. Wow. Um, well, you know, Amanda Serrano fought, I think she's just fought in boxing, 
you know, everybody mentions Amanda Serrano as a potential opponent. You know, Jessica McCasco and her team, Rick Ramos, just did. You know, Katie Taylor. Everybody mentions Amanda Serrano, and everybody says as, as a fan that they want to see Amanda Serrano fight. But unfortunately for Amanda Serrano, nobody's making the fights, and nobody's paying her to have these fights in boxing. And by her latest postings in um, on social media – it seems like she has wholeheartedly made the change to MMA where she's not even going to consider a, a boxing match unless she's going to get paid big, big money. And this is one of, she just posted this about, uh, she posted this yesterday. She said on Twitter, and I'm reading it straight from her uh, Twitter account, as I sit and reflect on my decision to switch sports, I realize in many ways it's the best decision I ever made. From the way I'm treated to how well I'm compensated to all the promotion and exposure I'm getting, it's a no-brainer here is where I belong. I'm a Combate Americas athlete. So she's getting everything that she's always wanted, exposure, money, respect, something that boxing was never able to give her despite how good she is. So by the sound of it, David, it looks like we probably lost Amanda Serrano unless he's on, if, unless nothing works, she doesn't. She loses. Not, not that she, I want her to lose, but hopefully she doesn't lose. But if she ends up getting, you know, beat up this Saturday night, this might change. Because if yeah, you're getting paid, I mean, it's all about winning. It's all about winning. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about winning because it doesn't matter. I mean, she's such a competitor that it doesn't. I don't believe that it would matter how much she's getting paid if she's losing. You know. Whereas if, if in boxing, she might not be getting paid as much as she wished, but she's going to beat practically everybody she faces. Yeah, it's a, it's a money decision. It's all financial. I, I understand mm-hmm. because the fighter doesn't have that long to, you know, perform, and uh, that window is closing. She isn't. She turned 30 just uh, Tuesday. Yeah, and, and and another thing, she she posted a couple other interesting things where she's like even gotten to the point where she's kind of fed up about talking all these fantasy fights, and she's like, you know what, I'm not even gonna talk about these fights anymore. If the promoter wants to call me and talk real numbers and real money and real fights, then I'll entertain it. But I'm not even bothering and talking about these fights that are never gonna happen because they're never gonna pay me to have them. So she's pretty much said goodbye to a certain extent to boxing, which is a shame. But it's not the first time we've seen it. Holly Holm. When she switched, she was a pretty big name in, in female boxing, at least in, in New Mexico, where she was selling out, you know, pretty good uh, audiences. And, 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 I mean, not huge, but good enough for female boxing in the United States. But just like Amanda Serrano, she wasn't getting the respect. She wasn't getting the money. And she ended up switching over to the UFC and MMA. And she ended up being the biggest name in that sport. So who's to say that Amanda Serrano can't do it as well? Yeah, yeah, there's always that chance. You know, she could make some big, big money. All right, there, we're almost out of time, so let's move on real quickly to what's coming up in the upcoming calendar. We should be having our next show on October 25th, but we do have some a good amount of fights happening in the next couple of weeks. We have on Thursday, October 11th, from France, uh, Maiva Hamadouche uh, against Gabriela Hamadouche against Gabriela Mezzi in an eight rounder, 126. Uh, is that for sure? Uh, this, I thought she was fighting. I thought she was fighting Helen Joseph. I mean, that's what that's what listed on H, uh, on Boxrec. Uh, I've heard that Helen Helen Joseph fight as well, but I haven't seen that official. So 
right now we're going to go with what's on BoxRec. Uh, now, okay. played for Friday, October 12th. This fight was originally uh, scheduled for Sunday, September 30th in Boston, Massachusetts. But so for some reason, it didn't happen. And now it has been switched to the convention center in, Gre- in Greenville, South Carolina. Rosalinda Rodriguez against Martina Horgas in a six-rounder at 118 pounds. On Saturday, October 13th, um, from Buenos Aires. Actually, with that, Myra Hamadusha was today, so we're going to find out tomorrow if that if that really went down in France. And then on Friday, and then tomorrow, the Rosalinda Rodriguez fight. And then on Saturday, from Buenos Aires, Argentina, this is going to be televised on the Azteca Channel in Mexico. Uh, Jessica Yolanda Bob will be facing Sandra Robles in the 10-rounder for the WBA 108-pound title. From the from Mexico City on Televisa, so again, two female fights on competing networks in Mexico and uh, on prime time. Lourdes Juarez, the younger sister Mariana Juarez, will be facing Gabriela Sanchez Saavedra in an eight rounder at 108 pounds. 108 pounds, and uh, from the York Hall in London, England, Chantel Cameron will be defending her IBO 135-pound title against Diana Santana in the 10 rounder. And lastly, from Omaha, Nebraska, Michaela Mayer will be facing Vanessa Bradford in an eight-rounder at 135 pounds, David. So Saturday, this That's Saturday. That's NBF title. NBF title. Is it the junior title? Oh, yeah, you can fight uh, for a, a full-fledged NBF title, eight rounds, yeah. yeah. So this Saturday, David, uh, a full house of female boxing, at least uh, we got fights in Argentina, we got fights in Mexico, we have fights in the U.K., and we have fights here in the United States, so... That's going to be a really interesting Saturday uh, in female boxing. Now, Sunday, David, on October 14th, so this Sunday, from Bayern, Germany, we talked about it on our last show, and, you know, Christmas came early because Emma Cozy huh, will huh. be facing Iraiz Hernandez in a rematch this quickly. Really? I mean, that was like, it was about a month, month and a half. A month ago. For the vacant, yeah, month ago. Yeah, vacant WBF 168-pound title. So, um, we're gonna have we're gonna have to have a winner here. Hopefully, hopefully we have a winner here, and and Emma Cozy will be facing Iraiz Hernandez. So Iraiz Hernandez, the world traveler, she's gone to Europe twice in the last month. Or well, maybe she stayed there. I doubt that she stayed there for the whole month, but uh, yeah, but she yeah, will be traveling Emma, to. Yeah, this time Emma Cozy's fighting in in her home uh, country. Last time they fought in Croatia, and that yeah. was a draw. But th- this time we'll see if. Calls and benefits from being in the in her home country. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll be talking about that fight on our next show, October 25th. On Friday, October 19th, from Salta, Argentina, Marcela Acuña will be facing Areli Araceli Palacios in a 10-rounder for the IBF 122 pound title. David, I don't know if you if you recognize the name, but Araceli Palacios is fought not too long ago, maybe a year ago, if not less, uh, Marlene Esparza at 110 pounds. And now she's going at 122 pounds against Marcela Cunha. Wow. There you have it. Another that's uh, yeah, it happens. It happens in males. It happens in female boxing. But it tends to happen a little bit more in female boxing because the talent pool is much more shallow than the male side. Obviously, on Saturday, October the 20th, from Austria, Eva Vorborger will be facing Luna del Mar Torroba in a 10 rounder for the interim WBC 180 pound title. And then in Mexico City, David, on Saturday, October the 20th, there's going to be an all-female fight card in Mexico City with the main event between Valeria Perez and Alondra Prado Nava 
in an eight-rounder at Bantamweight, and then there's eight more female bite fights that on that card on October 20th. So that's not something that you see very often. You see it in Japan maybe a couple times a year, and you see it in Mexico maybe once a year when it's October, you know, a female um, breast cancer month. So they used to have oh, it here okay. in Tijuana a couple of times. So, but now they're having it in Mexico City. And lastly, from the T-Day Garden in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, Matchroom Boxing USA on the zone gives us on Saturday, October the 20th, Katie Taylor against Cindy Serrano in a 10-rounder for the IBF WBA 135-pounder. So at least one of the Serrano sisters, although she only fights about once a year, is sticking to boxing, and that is the older sister, Cindy Serrano. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting bout. We'll see how that fires. Yeah, and let's see, uh, let's see how it goes. And, and it's going to be on the zone, so it's going to be on a big, uh, a big platform, just like Jessica McCaskill and Erica Faria. So we'll see how that goes. So um, thank you for being with us. We want to thank Jessica McCaskill and her trainer Rick Ramos for being with us. And we wait for you on our next show, October twenty fifth. Good night, David. Good night, Felipe. Good night, everybody.